0: yes Lord Father we are definitely we are a needy people and there was never a time in the history for most of us in this room sitting under the sound of my voice and those who are listening by YouTube or Facebook or any other social media platform whereby we needed the Holy Spirit more than ever. Father, the lines are being drawn in the sand. As we can see by the posts, the frowns, the counseling of friendships, that many are being swayed away, lured away by the power and the prince of the air. And the gospel to some seems impotent of its power to transform people that are born with a different color of pigmentation. And the hostility that many thought was gone is back. And it's more fierce than ever. It's more insidious than ever. It's now a global thing. And pastors and preachers and teachers, men who stand behind the pulpit, many of them peers and alike or bewildered, not sure what to say. Not sure how to say it. And so, Father, we need the Holy Spirit. One who you said that you would give and you sent. On the day of Pentecost. When he flooded the room like a mighty Russian wind. And those of all types of ethnicities begin to speak as in their voice. But there was a unity. There was a oneness. There was a bonding. That did not come by the power and the will of men. But it came by the power from on high. The glory of the majesty of the king of kings. Filling their hearts up. From the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. Once where there were walls of hatred and hostility, they begin to tumble down because of the message of the cross of Christ. That everlasting story, that old story. That was told then and being told now. Come now, Holy Spirit, help me to preach this word tonight. This evening, I'm not a preacher by my own strength. I'm a preacher by the grace of God who called me from the sheep fields of Sardis. Come now, Holy Spirit, and untangle my tongue in the fear of timidity of man or whatever it may be. And may I be the voice that would cry out in the wilderness for such a time as this so that your people here and around the world and around America and the city of Birmingham would hear the voice of our Lord and our God. This is my prayer, and I thank you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you. It's good to have live music. Thank you, James. Thank you, Quest, for your leadership in this area of our church. I called him this morning and went for a walk. I said, man, I need live music. I think where the Lord may be taking us, we need to praise him, get his presence among us, because where we're going and where he's leading, we are going to need God. So with that, I got to get some words out to you. So stand to your feet. We're going to be coming from 1 Samuel, chapter 17. I may or may not read all of this, but because of the time, I want to get it all in. But bear with me. I think the Lord's going to meet with us today. So here we go. First Samuel 17. And the Philistines gathered their forces to for war at Sokah in Judah and camped between Sokah and Azekah in the Ephesus Daman, And Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. And when they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. And then the Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another, on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistines' camp. He was nine feet nine inches tall and wore a bronze helmet and a bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was a bronze armor on his on his shins and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of a spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him and he stood and he shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in this battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have them come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and killed him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Now, David was the son of the Ephrathite from Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse. And Jesse had eight sons. And during Saul's reign was already an old man. Jesse, three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war and their names was Eliab and the firstborn of Ebadab, and the next was Shammah the third, and David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul. But David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. And every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forth and took his stand. And one day Jesse had told his son David, Take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. And also take these 10 portions of cheese to the field commander and check on the well-being of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. And they are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah are fighting with the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning and left the flock with someone to keep it loaded up and set out as Jesse had charged him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, Suddenly, the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward with the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him, terrified. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king would make the man who kills him very rich and would give him his daughter. The king would also make the family of that man, father, exempt from paying taxes in Israel. And David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy? The armies of the living God. The troops told him about the offer, concluding that it was will be done for the man who kills him. And David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened to as he spoke to the men, and he became angry with him. Why did you come down here? he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance. And I know your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. What have I done now? protested David. It was just a question. Then he turned from those beside him to others in front of him, and he asked about the offer, and the people gave him the same answer as before. Now, Acts chapter 13, one verse here, and we're going to sit down. Here we go. Then as for a king, God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, the man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And after removing him, God did, he raised up David as their king and God testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. This is the living word of God. You may have your seats. I love the scripture from Esther 414 which says, if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. But who knows? Talking to Esther. But who knows, Esther, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Um, I'm thinking about that a lot in this last few weeks uh, for such a time as this. And I think this message will speak into that. Was I born in this particular generation in this particular hour for God's purposes? Uh, We see this also in Ecclesiastes chapter three. It says to everyone, there is a season to everything. There is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. God has his purposes for every season and for every hour. You and I may not know them, but God does. Because in Psalms 33, verse 10 and verse 11, Carl's going to put this up on the board. It says that the Lord nullifies. The Lord nullifies. Peter's messing up here. The Lord nullifies the council of the nations. God's plan, his purposes will be will prevail. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. And the counsel of the Lord stands forever. And the plans of his heart, God's heart, from generation to generation. And brothers and sisters, God has a plan for this generation. And if you're here, you're a Christian, for such a time as this, were you brought into the kingdom of God. I will attest to that. I will promise you that. And so, Ephesians chapter one, uh, we speak, spoke about this a lot over the last few weeks. About no matter what Rona comes, what virus comes, or what may or whatever, no matter if the star falls out of the sky and it hits the world, we understand this. That also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose who works all things, not some, all things, according or after. The counsel of his will. God works all things out. If you're here, and you're born in this time. God has us right where he wants us. We have been called for such a time as this. Well, back to first Samuel. Um, Carl's going to put the text up there, but I am want to start with verse three of chapter 17 here. To get into our text today, it says it's all in the men of Israel gather and they camped in the battle of Elah. And then they line up against in battle formation to face the Philistines. So the first obvious question, who are the Philistines? To make it short, they are the arch enemies to God's people, Israel. They're constantly attacking them. and Israel is constantly fighting them back. They hate Israel. They don't want to bow down to Yahweh. So they're the arch enemies of God. Now, I don't know if the church understands this or not. Let me speak to Facebook. We have some enemies. Jesus says the world hates us. It hated him. It's was going to hate us. We as Christians would never be loved. This is not our home. We're passing through. I was just so reminded today, just in this year long, we lost R.C. Sproul. Dr. Ravi Zacharias, and now I heard today our dear brother Tim Keller, and this is a reminder to us all. Tell your children and your grandchildren, this is not our home. We're passing through. We're born to die, and so therefore we come in, we're leaving out. And so, and in this world, Jesus says um, the world didn't like him, and not going to like us. So there are the arch enemies of God. They fight against God under the domain and the rule of Satan and all of his camp and what they try to do. And so the Philistines, they're the enemies of Israel, the people of God. They're the arch enemies of God. And then in verse four, it says, and then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He came up this unbelievable, formidable giant of a person. I'm pretty sure if he lived today, he would be a first-round every generation for the NBA draft. Give me that. <laughs> I shouldn't lose any more games, a guy this size, unless he was just clumsy or something like that. You do have big guys that are clumsy, but, but even with that, I still take my chance. Just stand there and block every shot. Don't let nothing go in the rim. Jordan couldn't even score on this guy. The last dance would never even exist if this guy lived today because Jordan wouldn't be able to do that little side dunk because Goliath would have just stuffed him in the rim. And so it says he came up nine feet tall, nine inches tall, and bronze helmet. Had a spirit shaft that was like a weaver's beam. Had a guy walking in front of him. And then verse 10, Philistine's talking stuff. He said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. He's talking smack, as we call it in the hood. He's punking. He's putting his finger on their foreheads. I defy you. He's blaspheming the people of God. And the Bible says he has come up from the ranks of the Philistines to defy Israel this day. And then in verse 11, it says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Do you feel like Christians are right now losing courage or you're afraid to say on Facebook and Instagram and IG that you have love for another on the other side of the aisle who have a lighter hue of pigmentation Because there's some guys out there on Facebook, man, if you have any love for a white brother right now, you're going to be calling some names. From people from inside the camp, supposedly. So this is no ordinary giant here. The people of God are terrified. They are afraid. They're losing courage. I can't tell you how many pastors right now are shaking, don't know what to say. If I say this, they're going to tear me up on IG and Twitter. They're going to call me a new name that I've never been called before. They are afraid and terrified. And this is where the people of God with this giant, he has come up and he's talking smack and he's defied the ranks of Israel today. And when they heard it, they lost their courage. And they were terrified. But this is how you got to understand the what we call in our camp, the providence of God or God's sovereignty. With God being sovereign, there is no wasted days. No matter where you work at, understand this, brothers and sisters, God don't waste any day. Every day, God has a purpose for that day. And so in verse 16, I want to go there. Go to verse 16, Carl, because I want to slow down, because I want you to see this. And this is why you have to kind of um, really um, just really understand the word of God. But here's what it says verse 16. And every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forth and took his stand. 40 days morning and evening. Now, if you're reading that in your devotion in the morning, that should stop you. Why he don't do it at noonday? Why he don't do it at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock? Why early in the morning, evening, in the morning, he comes up from the ranks to defy the people of God. And this is why you need good preachers who study the word and stop playing all this golf all the time so they can make the Bible relevant and make people understand what's going on. 40 days he comes up. Now, that's really important to understand because the word 40 is mentioned in the scripture 146 times. So you should say 40 days and 40 nights, not 32 days, not 33, not 19, not 17, 40 days. He comes up in the morning and in the evening. The number 40 generally symbolizes a period of testing, a trial or a probation or referring to a generation. So Goliath came up for 40 days. God wants us to see that it was a particular generation that he's coming to. And you can see the people of God are, are running and they're hiding. But this number 40 I'm just going to give you a bunch of scriptures. You see it all over the word of God, but I'm going to give you a few. Moses lived 40 years in Egypt. That's where he was before he went out one day. Just out one day, he went out and saw his brothers being beaten by the Egyptians. He intervened, killed the Egyptians, and that was the end of his time in Egypt. And then for 40 years, he was in the desert. Why not 32 years, but 40 years in the desert. And then after being in the wilderness for 40 years, God appears to him. Now he's 80 years old. And when they spied out the land, they didn't do it for two days. They did it for 40 days. The prophet Ezekiel laid on his right side for 40 days to symbolize Judah's sins. The prophet Jonah warned ancient Nineveh for how many days? 40 days. He warned Nineveh that God's judgment was coming. And for 40 days, the flood of Noah was coming on the earth. Not 19 days, but 40 days. The flood and the waters came from the deep and flooded the whole earth. And Jesus fasted and prayed in the wilderness for how many days? 40 days. It was 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. When Jesus went up. And guess what? It gets even more. this number 40. The Bible itself. According to what we know. Was written by. Guess what? 40 authors. I think God's trying to tell us something about 40. This giant comes up from the ranks. He doesn't do it in 10 days. 40 days, he takes his stand. A particular generation, a time of testing, and probation, and speaks and defies the people of God. This Goliath, the big, formidable giant I've been wrestling with for a while. How this first sermon, and I preached this sermon before, but not like this. God has had me add some stuff to it in light of the times. But nevertheless, this is how it came to me. Goliath, when I first preached it, was called the sin of racism. This formidable giant that comes up every generation. And he blasphemes the people of God. You have to be blind as Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles not to see he's not blaspheming. He taunts. It's one of the definitions of the word defy. He's taunting. He's like, he's punking the Christians right now. Now, he's done it every generation, and he's blaspheming. And I want to tell you today, and he is back. Some thought he was sleeping like Rip Van Winkle, but he's not asleep. And he's come every generation, mocking, saying, you will not do and live out that what Jesus has said. And right now, all over America, he's standing in every city, in every neighborhood, in every Christian church. And he's saying, I defy you. I got my finger on your forehead. What you going to do about it? That's what he's doing. Just to see his handprint down through the history, I will talk about this next week. I wanted to put it in because of time. I I know I'm not going to be able to get to it, but I do want to bring it up so you guys can go read it and just to see it. A friend of mine this week sent me this. I didn't want to read it. and I went and read it. I said, man, I never should have read this. but, But I went and read it anyhow. But it's the Dred Scott case. And the Supreme Court decisions on PBS. And what they decided and how they decided on this particular situation. One of the things I'm doing, I'm trying to do research on all the justice judges and whether they were Christians or not because... When you read it, I have to give you a warning, black people. You're not going to hear no Genesis 126. I'm telling you now. So you go there. Don't come back mad at me and want to be mad. I'm just telling you, you're going to go there. And for my white brothers and sisters, you need to go read it because you need to see, as I spoke on last week, how our country and many Christians professing believers gave way to the doctrines of demons. Because when you read that Supreme Court case, the Dred Scott, I don't know what Bible school they went to, because here's the thing. The Bible hasn't changed. The same Bible that I'm reading today was there when they had it. It may have been updated a little bit. You know, we got the NIV and the CSB, but it still had its content. So you got to ask yourself, why is it that they couldn't say it or what, what they were drinking? I don't know what kind of coffee they had. Maybe they had a special kind of coffee. But when you read the Dred Scott case, it will make you cry. Because what you will see was Darwinian evolution 100% as they gave their decision from the top bench of America as it relates to people of color. And the way I look at it, Goliath was doing what he's always done, punking, backing them up. And sooner or later, we Christians, I believe with all my heart that there is a generation whose heart is likened to that of King David. And so. Moving on. This is why we all are being called to read our Bible more carefully these days and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Because you and I, when we read our Bible, we're not just communing with anyone, but we are communing with the sovereign Lord of the universe who knows every finite detail of the day and the future. But I believe with all my heart, with all of my heart, that there is a generation. I believe that generation is now. We are that generation that God has been waiting for. Here in America, we're putting our feet down and we're saying, and I said it last night, Saturday, and I said it on Thursday, and I'm going to keep saying it. I'm saying it on live today. We're not running. We're not running and hiding no more. We're going to look him right eyeball to eyeball. Now, we're not going to do that in our own strength and our own power. God did not leave us as orphans, but he has sent the Holy Spirit Here into us so that we would have the power of God through the gospel to resist any ism that comes against us. But we're not running. And I believe with all of my hearts that we are that generation. And this is where it starts. Turn to get to verse 17 here because this is powerful. So you got to read your Bible with ghost lenses on. Holy ghost lenses on. Holy Spirit, speak to me. I'm not running out the house fast trying to read the word. I want to read the word and give it time to speak back to me. Because you will miss this if you're not understanding it and reading it carefully. But it says one day. See, God is the God of every day. He's not the God of some days. He's the God of every day. And one day, Jesse had told his son, just an ordinary mundane day. Take this half bushel Of roasted grain, along with these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers, and hurry to their camp. Just an ordinary day, but God is the God of every day. The time that you were born, God set that in eternal history in His plans for you to be born in the 80s, in the 90s, in the 2000s, and for me in the 60s. If he wanted me in the 1700s, then I wouldn't have been back there. And I don't know if I wouldn't be able to preach a sermon like this. I'd have been shot with a spear, let alone a gun. But God said, no, you're coming in the 60s. And just an ordinary day, Father, the war is going on. Go down, David, to this camp. And David also take these 10 portions of cheese to the field commander and check on the well-being of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. So David's going down there. So he goes down to the camp. Verse 19, verse 20. So David got up early in the morning. This is why i say obedience is always the way of God. When we are doing what we're doing, it's never in disobedience. He took his father's command honestly. He did it. So he got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone else to keep it, loaded it up and set up as Jesse had charged him. And he arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation and shouting their battles cry. And Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation, facing each other. And David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster. Verse 23, this is key. Ordinary day, Father tells him to go down. And while he was speaking, who? The giant. David was speaking to him. Suddenly, the word of God says, not just any time, but suddenly, the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forth from the Philistine's battle line and shouted his unusual words. Here's the key. And David, sent by his father, ordinary day, heard. Now David heard it differently than when everyone else was hearing it, and he heard. And when all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated, and from him terrified. They're all running. But David says, what's going on here? Christians have been running from the spirit of racism. Hiding in different ways, but hiding nevertheless. But the word of God says, and David heard, this is important. Because when Jesus talks to the seven churches in Revelation, he said, let those who have an ear, let them hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying. What are you hearing today? You're hearing two voices. Either you're hearing the voice of the one who's bringing fear or you're hearing the voice of your Lord and your king. We're all hearing. But what are you hearing? And David heard. He like, what in the world? And when all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated and they were terrified. And previously, an Israelite man had declared, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king has will make the man who kills him very rich. Verse 26. And David spoke to the men who were standing with him what will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes got to catch it this disgrace it is a disgrace that we have what we have happening right now in the church of America among those who have been bought and redeemed by the Lamb of God David said, this disgrace, this shame, this taunting, this thing that is making Christianity look like it's not nothing but another one of many religions. We're just like the Hebrew Israelites. we just no different. I'm like, what in the world? King of kings? Lord of lords? David says, this disgrace from Israel just then he says, look at how he switches. Just who is this uncircumcised? And David said, How did God be sitting here all these years and these generations, sitting back and letting this thing destroy the armies of the living God? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is defying the armies of the living God? David says, what y'all been doing for 40 days? Terrified. What y'all been doing for all these generations? Terrified. Running. Why morning and evening? He comes up. up. Because that's what Israel will be praying their prayers. The Shammat prayers. Starts out by saying, here, Israel, our Lord God is one. And while they were praying that prayer, big foot, sloop foot comes up, bad breath and all. because You know he didn't brush his teeth. And he probably didn't speak good English. But he had enough good English to get it out. I defy, he had that one down. Like a good rapper. I defy. He, he just got the little one lyric and the beats behind it. Hit it. I defy. Your God. He wasn't a lyrical rapper. He wasn't just a one, one, one text rapper. Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Notice what he connected to. guys. This is denying God. We're the people of God. God could step down and take him out in a minute. He's defying God. And David says, I'm not running. Whenever one was. He says, I'm not running. And he asked the question that we should all ask. He says, what will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he's defying? The armies of the living God. Transitioning. Getting into my last part. Because You will probably be asking, you know, this is how I used to look at David. But David was special, meaning God gave him. When he was born, he skipped the sin trap, something like that. Angels was on his back. But if you read the life of David, you know that's not true. He had sin promises like we did. He looked over at balcony one day, saw a woman he shouldn't have saw, and the rest was history. David's like, I gotta go get that. Go in and get her and bring her back. We know that story. That's how we got Psalms 51. He had too much lust that day. Should have been out fighting on the battlefield, but yet he went and took another man's wife and then killed the man. But I used to think David had wings on his back. So here's my question I want to ask us. Why is David so willing to fight against the disgrace taunting Israel? The people of God. And then why is it that God in, is testifying in Acts 13, that I have found David? A regular man, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. How did David get there? What made him like anyone else on that day? What made David say this thing is a disgrace against the living God and against his people. I am not running. I am not hiding. He's got to go. So what is moving David? Does he have wings on his back? And then God says, I have found David to be a man after my own heart. Who will carry out all my will. Brothers and sisters, see, we, and I say this to people. I don't know if we really know what we know when we say when we talk about this gospel, because what I'm about to show you is the same thing for all of us. This is why I love the doctrine of election or whatever you want to call it, predestination. But it's God that chooses. you got to really understand that. And when you get it today, tears should come down your face. Because it did on David. And this is why I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Here it is. Help me out, Jeremiah. Get me on there. Got to get it up there. Help me out, somebody back there. There you go. David is latter stages of his life. He's looking to build a house for God, a temple. And God's made a covenant with him. And I'm just going to read the text, and I'm just want you to feel yourself in the text. David wasn't born with wings on his back. He was born in sin. And he even tells us that in Psalm 51. Born in sin and iniquity and shaped by it just like you and I. So David said, when the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king said to the prophet Nathan, look, I am living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside a tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, go and do all that is on your mind for the Lord is with you. But that night, God said, oh, no, you spoke too fast, Nathan. Slow it down. The word of the Lord came to Nathan. Back it up. Go to my servant David and watch the sovereign hand of God's election and love here. Because you want to know what moved David, what made him say, this thing is bringing a disgrace against the armies of the living God. Look at what David's word of God says. Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I have been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys with all of the Israelites, I have never spoken a word to one of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, asking Why haven't you built me a house of cedar? So now this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of the armies armies says. I took you. You didn't take you. I took you from the sheep fields of Sardis. I took you from the streets of Fairfield. I took you from the Baton Rouge or wherever you're from. I took you. I saved you from out of wherever you came out of. It wasn't your mama and it wasn't your daddy. I took you from the sheepfolds of poverty, single parentedness. God says, David, I took you from the pastor, from tending the flock to be ruler over my people, Israel. And this is what Christians got to understand. You are what you are by the grace of God. I am where I am today on oh, nothing but God's grace. I am a service night. Couldn't talk, but God reached down by his grace's hand and said, you're mine. Let's get our gospel straight. David says, God's telling him, I took you. And John 15 says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Let's keep going. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I, God says, not you. I have destroyed all your enemies. You didn't do nothing before you. And I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest on the earth. God says, I will do that. You don't have to try to make your own name great. I do that, God says. Let's keep going. And I, God says, will designate a place for my people, Israel, and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done. Verse 11. And ever since that day, God says, I ordered the judges to be over my people, Israel. I will give you the rest from all your enemies. And the Lord declares to you and the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and your rest will, you will rest with your ancestors and I will raise up after you, your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and I will. He will be my son when he does wrong. I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love, that unconditional love, that love that never fails, will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported all these words to this, to the entire vision to David. Now I want you to see this. And this is why I believe this is a generation. This is where it hit. Now I want you to see what God just gave David, the doctrine of election. <laughs> Sovereign grace. Oh, you didn't think it was in the Old Testament? Right there. I, I, I. God said, I did it all. You didn't do anything. I, David, did these things. It's my plans and my purposes. Look at David's response. And this is a generation. If we can respond like this. If there is no Goliath. There is no one. There is nobody that can come and say to the church anymore. Going for it. In this city or in any other city in America. And say to us and try to divide us. If we can get this. If we can respond with this. If we understand this. Look how David responds. Then the King David went in after hearing all of that doctrine of election. He went in. And what you need to do is go in tonight and sit in your room and just sit down. And just think, how do you even get saved? Just think on that for two weeks. How is it that your eyes are open and veil to the mercies of God? The bullets miss you. You didn't have no car accident, even though you was drunker than a skunk. He sat down in the presence of the Almighty One. Blown away by what? His grace. And look what he says. Who am I? I'm no one that you would do this to. How is it that Christians can walk around with their chest puffed out? Your brother, whom you see. What is happening to us? Help us, Jesus. David says, Who am I? Who is Alton Hardy? I am nobody. And please don't treat me as such. I am a man of the grace, just like you are. And David says, Who am I? He's overwhelmed. On the grace of God. (sighs) Who am I? He says. Lord God. And what is my house. That you have brought me this far. Some of us. We just got to think. That you're sitting here today. Believing in Jesus. When there's almost 8 billion people. Who are walking around the world. And many of them dying. And going into a place of torment, but you, saved by grace through faith, God has granted you the gift of God, and that is none of yourself. But God said, "I took you from the sheepfolds of Hoover. I took you from the sheepfolds. You're here." wherever you are on the internet today. And David says, you brought me this far. I, mean, I was shouting in my room today. I, mean, I was a nobody, still nobody. I am in all the saints. I have nothing that I can throw up to God and say, God, I'm somebody because I can do this. That's why when Goliath's coming, I can't give ear to him. Because I've been met by that matchless grace that saved a nobody and put a preaching in it. You want me to hate? You want me to hate my brother because of a lighter hue that they didn't ask for? What kind of monster are you? What kind of Where does this envy and hatred come from? It comes from the pit of hell. But David says, Lord God, what you have done for me is a little thing to you. Lord God, for you have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And this is a revelation for mankind. Look at the word of God. The revelation for mankind to understand God's grace. Revel in it. bask yourself in it. Go home and jump in your bed and say, God, who am I? Let's keep going. And the king went, um, keep going, next verse. What more can David say to you? What can, that's what I say. I don't have words to try to explain to you who God is to us. As they were singing, it, You are love, you are good. You are perfect, you are faithful. when we are not faithful, yet you remain faithful to your own, because you cannot deny yourself, which is your own. You are love. What can I say to you? You know your servant, Lord God. Because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. This is why James was saying, you are great. Lord God, there is no one like you. There is no God besides you. Do y'all understand that? All we have heard confirms. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God, because of your word and according to your will, You reveal these great things. Let's go to the next verse. And who is like your people? Israel. Who is like God's church? His bride from all eternity. From every tongue and tribe. That through the cross of Christ. The wall has been broken down. We are now made one. Through the cross. I don't care what no one says. I don't care what past has been. But what has transpired in what past. We are one in Christ because we are all in one time. We were all outsiders in the seed fields of our sins. Who is like our people Israel, God came to one nation on earth in order to redeem a people for himself, to make a name for himself, and to perform for them great and awesome acts, driving out nations and their gods before your people. You redeemed for yourself from Egypt. Where is our verse? God came and got some of us out of Egypt. So that we might show his matchless grace the worlds around us. You establish your people Israel to be your own people forever and you Lord have become their God. Anyone in the room tonight is God your God tonight? Is he your God? If he's your God let us make a decree. It's going to get ugly and it's already gotten there. But the heart of David, people, that's what David had. We're not running. We're standing. Not on our own word, but on the word. And we're saying, through the ecclesia, through the church, God is making known the manifold. People from every tongue and tribe the powers and the rulers in the heavenly realms. People who know what they know that what they are is all of grace and none of you is all a gift. Let that sink in your heart. Facebook. And when they come here at Urban Hope here's what they're going to see. A real reality of the manifold in our personal lives, in what we do throughout the week. We are not letting Goliath, and he's back in this generation. But I truly believe for such a time as this, and I'm done, that God has brought me and allowed me to go through what I've gone through for such a time as this so that I can preach this with my heart and not just with my mind. That we can stand together together I'm not standing on my own strength. I'm standing in because I know, as David knows, who am I that you have loved me so much? You want to know how I felt yesterday? And I'm ending here. Chad, get ready to come and pray and give the benediction. You know what I felt yesterday when I walked in and I saw all those people? I said, God, who am I? That's what I thought, Jeff. I say, who am I? I'm no, that's why I'm crying. I'm no one. I'm standing here on nothing of pure grace and love. And you reached down to a fatherless kid with no dad and homeless and pulled me out and set me on purpose and foundation of your word. And I'm standing here today. In front of all these people. Who am I. That you would do this. And allow me to experience this with you. Father. May our hearts tonight. Bring this truth. As we leave this place. And those who are listening on Facebook that we may be able to say, who are we? And may we say we are the children of God by grace through faith granted to us as a gift so that we might be saved from the wrath of God that is to come. Holy Spirit, may we sit all week and the next week in the presence of the Holy One and say these words, who am I that you have loved me so much? And as we reflect on that love that you have granted to us, and when the spirit of hostility comes at us, at our workplace, in our neighborhoods or on the social media, may we be able to stand and say, I'm not running from the disgrace. But I'm running to the grace that has called me and saved me. Lord, we love you. Thank you now. Do what you've always done. And always what you are doing, which is working out your plans and your purposes, according to the counsel of your will from all eternity. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet as Brother Chad comes to give the benediction.